We lost the baby. My dad said I'd never make it. I feel so hopeless. My wife just left my kids. I can't win. The doctor says there's no cure. I just want out. Hey, uh, do me a favor. On your seat, you'll find the notes for this weekend. If you grab those, uh, we'll jump into this real quickly. While you're doing that, um, we've all just heard from Jeff and Nikki Reitz. Um, let me just put a personal word in here. Um, Pastor Jonathan said that they are our longest missionaries. Jeff was also an original board member, JFC. When we started the church, in order to incorporate, you have to pick... A uh, couple of people to be on your board when you're a nonprofit. And I asked Jeff if he would serve in that capacity. He did that, was our original uh, missionary that, that uh, we supported Jeff and Nikki in Mozambique. And I know this for a fact. There is no other ministry. There are others, but there is no other ministry we support that we're seeing more fruit happen in than in Africa, Yesu in Mozambique. And I know, um, Jeff, one of those vehicles we helped... We partnered with you one time Amen. and bought, bought one of those ones. I, I remember that back in the day, but I think it, it, I think it had a lot of miles on it at the time or something. Yeah, it has and over 250,000 250, miles. miles on it. And those aren't American highway miles. No. <laughs> those are African bush miles that are probably closer to a million miles on the, 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 just the hardness of, of those miles. I would, I would say this, that anyone here... Anyone that hears uh, at any of our campuses, and then anyone that's listening, we'll have this done from, from time to time in another state, maybe. It's looking for uh, a place to sow money, a place that's really, uh, without question, uh, a place that you'll see return on the investment. Jeff and Nikki Reitz, Africa Waisu, I would encourage you, give above and beyond. It, it is dollars into the kingdom of God. Push it on so that you get it in heaven when you come back. And if you left this weekend... With less than twenty or thirty thousand dollars, I'd be disappointed. So please, may that be in the hearts of everybody here, and, and may that uh, may that be taken care of. Okay, uh, I want to welcome all of our campuses: Lone Tree, Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, and this weekend, Lakewood Campus yeah. up running online. We're excited about that. Any friends that you have over in that area, tell them we officially will open two weeks from now. Mother's Day weekend will be the grand opening, but we've already begun to meet uh, starting this weekend, starting tomorrow, with um, the uh, Jubilee folks. And so if you'd like to stop by and see it, that would be wonderful. Located right at Wadsworth and Hampton, just back to the east a little bit on Hampton there. And uh, you drive by, you will not be able to miss the signs. The signs are huge, and uh, we, we are very excited about what God's going to do uh, coming up with Lakewood. Our series is called Pitfalls. We're only in the second week of it, and uh, if you'll look at your notes right here, I wrote down just a quick bridge from last time. I, I taught a pretty wide opening message on just the whole idea of pitfalls, what they are, why we experience them, what we're going to do with them. And I'll say this, if it's true that we all deal from time to time with pitfalls in life, yes or no, it becomes important to learn how to deal with those things then. If we're going to, if we're going to come across them, we may as well learn how to deal with them. So I just put from last time, uh, sort of encapsulated was the thought, everything you always wanted to know about a pit and then some. And so I taught last week three ways into a pit and here they were. You can be pushed in, you can fall in or you can jump in. 
We spent some time talking about what each of those represent when you're pushed in. Here's the thought there that uh, the pit that you're in at that point is not caused by your own hand. Somebody else did something to you. Maybe through a relationship. Maybe simply uh, through uh, uh, a, a mistake. Whatever the situation. You didn't have anything to do with it. Someone else did it to you. And then I put that you could fall in. And that's one where maybe your best intentions were to end up someplace else and to do something else. I don't think most pits are self-inflicted. However, that is one. I'll talk about it here in just a second. But most of us that end up in a pit, it's either at the hands of somebody else or through a mistake that we made. Do you agree with that? And then last but not least, I did put down that another way into a pit would be that we jump in. And what is that? There are times in life where we just look at it and we go, I'd rather have the happiness in the moment than worry about the pain that's going to come later. Now, I know none of you have ever done that. But those sinners that come at six, they've done that a lot. (laughs) Two ways out of a pit. There's three ways in. I came with two ways out of a pit. The first one that I said is that you climb out. I had an interesting uh, comment this week. Our prayer pastor, Kim DeMay. Kim, Kim, uh, this is her quote. She said, when we recognize the lie that got us into a pit, when we recognize how the enemy tripped us, how he got us, then she said, here's the power that we have in Christ. We can tear down the lie and climb out of the pit on the rubble of that lie. I love the wording of that. I love the picture of that. The Bible tells us to take every thought captive and everything that runs contrary to the will of Christ and we're to tear those things down. Here she describes it, that the very way to climb out of a pit is to recognize the lie, to pull it down, and then to come out on that rubble. I love that right there. I thought that was great. And then the second way that I put out of a pit would be that you're delivered out of a pit. In Psalms 40, Verse 1 and 2, and that's the one that we've used sort of as the basis in this, uh, in this series so far. Uh, David wrote, I waited patiently for the Lord. Say the word patiently. patiently. Anybody in here not wait well? <laughs> Thank you for being real. I don't wait well. I, I, I believe in deliverance at my pace. Yes. <laughs> here David writes, I waited patiently for the Lord. I think there's a key in that. I think there's something to be said for the idea that God does. How many of you know that just because we get impatient, it does not make God move any faster on his calendar? And and there's a a lot there. There's probably a whole series right there. But I will just say, David writes, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me, heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy, what's the word? Love that. God himself did it. Out of the mud and the mire, he set my feet on a rock, gave me a firm place to stand. That is deliverance. Do you believe that God is a deliverer? Like part of the nature, the character, who he is, he is a deliverer. Now, I said this last week, if left up to me, maybe this isn't true for you, but if left up to me and I had to choose how am I going to come out of the pit in my life, I would choose every time to be delivered. It's easier. Degree. It's just, it's simply easier. Here, though, is the problem. He is a deliverer. He does deliver us. But I, I would say this to you. If the only way out of a pit is that you have to be delivered every time, you never learn the discipline that keeps you out of the pit. One of the things about a pit is that it should hurt us so that we don't make the decisions to go into the pit. I'll give you a great example. Credit cards. Ever been there? Again, am I talking to the 6 o'clock people? Because nobody here moves. They're like, don't even know what they are. All right. Yeah, it's a little piece of plastic <laughs> built on lies. Okay. Here's... <laughs> and and I, the, the best of intentions can, can be foiled with the credit card in that you... you I, I'll tell on me, at, 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 a, at a young married age, 
I, before I got, I got married, I was 19. I just turned 19. That's young. And I couldn't get a credit card. I get married. You, you would be amazed how many banks suddenly liked me because I got married. And I had all these offers to get a credit card. I got a credit card, and the credit limit on the, on the credit card was $1,500. And I thought, man, that is a lot of money. And Chris and I sat down, and I said, we're going to have rules for how we operate with this credit card. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to anything we put on it, we've got to have in the bank to pay off. One month later, I was at Disneyland. <laughs> you think I'm lying. I was at Disneyland. And she said to me, can we pay this off? And I said, just get on the Pirates of the Caribbean and let's go. It's all going to be Okay. Best of intentions can be foiled in that, that you, you can say, I'm going to do it this way, but you can make mistakes. And, and you give up what you know is going to be painful to live in the moment. Yes. Ever been there. So that you end up in a pit. To come back out of the pit. If you're just delivered out of a pit, you never learn the discipline then to not end up back in the pit. So if somebody just comes and bails you out. Ever heard those words? If all you get is the bailout, you never develop the discipline then. It doesn't hurt bad enough. to. So you can have the best of intentions. Okay, I got bailed out. I'll never go back there again. Here's what will happen. Given the right circumstances, you will because it didn't hurt you to get out of it. So God is a deliverer, but sometimes his deliverance is that you need to climb out of that pit so that you don't end up back in this pit. Better to live your life with wisdom than to live it every day going, God, I need a bailout. Do you agree with that statement? Just agree with it. It's, it's not, I'm not being ugly. I'm just saying that that is so, so much a mentality that people fall into. So I just put as a transition, today I'm going to talk and be a little more specific. Last week was, was really very wide-brimmed with the idea of pits in general. Uh, this weekend, let me talk about uh, the pit of pain or the benefit of pain. Now, I know you're going, can there be such a thing? G- give me a moment to teach I put right next to that, this is important, you do get to choose. You do get to choose whether or not there's any benefit in it. You do get to choose whether or not God can do something with the pit that you're in. If you don't believe that's true, this is not in your notes. It's just simply a scripture that I had in my mind. Romans chapter 8. Paul, Paul, how many of you brought Bibles? At our campuses right now, Lakewood... Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, hold your Bible up if you brought it. Here's what I know. We make it so easy. Oh, I'm so proud to look out there and see this. Some of you are holding up your phones. and I'm just going to take you on the honor system. You're not. There's really a Bible on there. All right, we'll just, we'll just, some of you are like, he's an idiot. Okay, here's Romans chapter 8, verse 18. Paul writes these words. Listen to this. For I consider that the suffering of this present time. So he's admitting that there is suffering. He's a believer and he's talking to believers. I consider that the suffering of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. So what is he saying? Simply, let me, let me put it in this context, that if you are a believer... Pits have a different understanding for you than they do for the world in general. People in the general population who are not believers end up in a pit, and and there may be no no rhyme or reason in their mind for why I'm here or any benefit that could come from it. But as a believer, here's the benefit. God can use everything. Do you believe that? Even the things that the enemy intended for evil, God can use for good to bring you a hope and to bring you a future. 
So Paul is saying this, I won't even take the sufferings that I'm experiencing and compare them to what it's going to be like when God gives me heaven. When God reveals to me what this is all for and why he did it, why he allowed it, what he's doing. Once God reveals his purpose, once he has his way, whether it be in this life or in the life to come, every believer needs to remember there is a life to come. And it is more important than the life we live now. It is greater and it is bigger. And it's what? It's the reward, folks. Everything gets so temporal focused on here and now. We need to remember then and there will overshadow here and now. It'll all melt away. And some of what God is doing, you, you may be going through it right now, but in comparison to what it's going to be when God gets done, you don't even compare the two together. What God's going to give you is so much greater than anything you're experiencing right now. So, so Pastor, why teach us that? Because you get to choose whether or not you believe that. And if you believe that, something good can come from the place you're at right now. The devil doesn't have to win. You get to choose. You get to decide. I put down as an illustration the name Charles Colson. Anyone in here old enough to remember? Watergate. If, if that uh, was before your time, Charles Colson, he, he was called the hatchet man for the Nixon administration. He was sort of the guy that helped pull the trigger behind Watergate. He, he was the enforcer. Colson uh, was busted, and he went to prison for his role in Watergate, and in prison, Colson became a believer. And if you know anything about him, he started Prison Fellowship. It is the largest prison ministry in the world. Here was his belief that anyone who goes to prison should be given the opportunity to reform, whether they get out or not. They should be given the opportunity to reform so that their life can still turn around. Whether they get out of jail or not, it could still turn around and be worth something. Do you agree with that? Yeah. I would say that the problem with prison today is that they're thrown in there without the hope of any reformation. It's not done to reform. It's done only to punish. Do you believe in punishment? Of course. But punishment should be done with the idea of reformation. So Colson gets a hold of prison. He becomes a believer in prison. He starts this ministry. It's the largest ministry in the world, ministering to prisoners. And here's, here's what Chuck Colson, his words. I don't even want to butcher it. I wrote it down so that it would be exactly. Prison is the best thing that ever happened to me. How does somebody say that? Only in light of God revealed to me that what was intended for evil he used for good in my life. And look at how many people it's touched and changed. So that even in your situation, if you will believe, if you will trust that what God is doing ultimately is greater than the place you are right now, you get to choose. You can end up beating the devil. You can end up winning in the situation. You can end up with God having performed his will in your life. How does a man say... Prison was the best thing that ever happened to me. It would have to be that he experienced God's will in the middle of what the enemy was trying to do. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 8, Jesus is being talked about here. Look at this. Although he, Jesus, was a son, say it out loud with me. 
He learned obedience from what he suffered. I thought Jesus was perfect. He was, but he was also a man. He was all God and all man. And the man side had to learn through experience. Listen to this. This is very important. He learned obedience by what he suffered. Does that just mean that people just pushed him around and he learned to be obedient? No, it's what... By going through the situation and seeing God take what was meant for evil and turn it around for good, he learned to be obedient to the Father's will by going through difficult things. Do you hear that? Have you ever prayed, God, I want to do your will? Anybody. So some of you are like right now, if I agree with this, I know you've, you're trapping me. So therefore, if I sit here not moving, I escape any pit, right? No. You don't. It doesn't work that way. It's like saying, if I don't pray for patience, I won't have a trial. You you don't get God that way. God doesn't go, you figured me. It doesn't work. (laughs) Agree or not agree, he'll have his will. But you could be on the good side of the deal. I put down the devil can't keep you in a pit. That's good news. But God doesn't make you get out of a pit. Bottom line, you have to decide, this is what I want. That's why it's important. What do you believe? And do you believe that God can use what was intended for evil to be good in your life? Do you believe that? The benefit of pain is that pain is a motivator and a catalyst. Pain is a motivator and a catalyst. Most of the people in this room have good intentions. Most of the people in this room want to do well. What is it that moves you from good intentions to actually possessing? I would say to you many times, it is the pain of the position that you're in that causes you to move. Do you believe that? My quote, Freedom begins with pain. Freedom begins with pain. Give you an illustration of that. Early on in my marriage, I mentioned the credit card thing. 1985, I was married in 83. By 1985, I had messed up my marriage. A lot of reasons. Some of it I was just young. Some of it I was dumb. Some of it was that she had her way. But after two years of being married, we were in trouble. I think that the only reason we stayed married at that time was that we both had made a commitment that we didn't want divorce to happen. Sometimes that's all you got. I'm just talking right now. Sometimes it's all you have. We had just made a decision. There wasn't, I wasn't excited to come home. And I don't think she was excited for me to come home. I think we both tried to avoid each other at that point. And I think if left to our own devices, we would have divorced. Somebody invited me to go to a marriage conference. It was here in Colorado. It was called Nova Shalom. There's a name. Nova Shalom. We went to a marriage conference. And all that I remember was that these couples stood up. And they talked about what I just said. We were in trouble. 
but God. And at the end of it, they just said, if you need help and would be willing to do what it takes to save your marriage, sign up, become a part of this. And Chris and I signed up, became a part of it. And I would say to you now, almost 30 years later, almost 30 years later, five children, five grandchildren, I have a tremendous marriage. My wife is my best friend. She is everything to me. When this is all said and done, the only thing I will walk away with for sure is her. That's the truth. She is, to even spend time trying to justify that, it, it won't do any good. Just to say, she is everything to me. How did we get there? We hurt so bad in 85 that we had to make decisions. We either had to get out or we had to get in, but we couldn't stay where we were. Anybody? You ever been there in your life? I'm using marriage, but can be applied to any situation. You could apply it spiritually. You could apply it emotionally. You could apply it physically. Hurt bad enough, and pain can become a catalyst and a motivator for change. Everyone says, here's what I want to do. Why don't we do it? Because water sinks its own level and we all tend to relax at what's easiest. Pain motivates us. It's not easy. And therefore, pain can be a catalyst to produce change. If you've ever prayed, God, I want your will in my life. And you find pain. Is it possible? Is it just possible? Does your definition of how big God is include the idea? Oh, man. Do I want to teach this theology? Hold on here. Yeah. C.S. Lewis. Ever heard of him? The Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, He was more than a children's author. One of the greatest theologians and brains of the 20th century. Don't believe me? Pick Pick up mere Christianity and try to read it in one setting. Please. Pick up the purpose of pain and get through the first chapter without rereading the sentence over and over and over. The guy is so deep. He is such a theologian. Here's what I know. As I have to be a defender sometimes of what I believe because of my position. People throw, here's one of the big caveats that that people throw out to you. If God is so loving and he is so merciful, why does he allow evil and suffering in the world? Ever heard that one? Here's what I know to be true. Most people don't want the answer. What they want is to throw that out and then to intellectually be lazy. Gotcha. You didn't get anything. But the answer to it is not done through an illustration or through throwing out some little platitude. To really get into why he allows it requires a mental diligence that most people don't want to even dive down into. So if the question then is asked right here, is God big enough in your understanding not to throw evil on you, but to allow difficulties to come to your life because he intends to use it for good? Does your definition of God allow that? Because if it doesn't, then the devil must be in control. I throw out to you that, that if you want... Our definition 
If God is so good and loving, our definition of good and loving is what's off. If God is so good, why would he allow suffering? I, I used it with the idea of being a grandfather versus a father. As a grandfather, I have no intention of being a disciplinarian. I don't fool anybody. I don't act that way. The other day I'm at the Nike factory outlet. I found a little football. I call up my daughter. I said, I bought this. I'm coming by. Marcus, my only grandson, needs another football. (laughs) Amen, his dad says. Amen. He is a brute. He is a junk. He, He is amazing. And we have plans. Big plans. And he, listen, he takes that football and he's throwing it at me. And he, I could care. If it were my kids, I don't you throw that at my head. Give me that football back. You'll never touch a football again. But with the grandkids, there is no, there is no hidden discipline. In I, I. We look at God, and by definition, we see him as the grandfather who was only here to spoil us and to tell us yes and to approve our every whim and desire. How could a loving God even think to discipline us? Because a father doesn't think like a grandfather does. A father looks at the outcome and says, I must discipline because I love. By definition, everything begins to change People don't want to go that deep. What they want to do is throw out a little platitude. Gotcha, now leave me alone. Let me mentally be lazy so that I don't have to actually answer the question. God is good, but he is holy. God is loving, but he also is justice. Boy, to even begin to touch that subject... Because you can't talk about suffering and you cannot talk about pain unless you could get a believer to, by definition, expand their understanding of how God can operate in their life. I would never believe that God puts sickness on any person. If you believe that, then you you would have to understand then that the Son works in opposite because Jesus delivers people from sickness. Therefore, the son works in opposite means of the father. A house divided against itself cannot stand. I could never believe that God put sickness on a person. But I can believe that regardless of what happens, God can use everything in order to bring about my goodness, my blessing. Does that make any sense? By definition, the whole, the whole understanding of suffering has to be expanded here. Let me say this to you. Pain is a motivator and a catalyst. Pain also causes you to experience God in ways otherwise impossible. Pain causes you to experience God in ways otherwise impossible. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7-10 Paul writes these powerful words, even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. Paul's been given visions of heaven that are beyond description. 
And his ability to share those things with people, his ability alone to share what he saw is causing conversions in, a, in an unbelievable way. And then he writes this. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and to keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace, my grace, let's do it again, my grace, my power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He's either insane. <laughs> I'm not joking. He's either absolutely insane or he's found something we know nothing about. He's discovered something that you and I haven't touched yet. I put as an illustration desperation rock. That's what I call it. When I was a young pastor, um, I, was, I was a youth pastor. And my pastor had come to me, John Stocker, Resurrection Fellowship. And he had heart trouble. And he said, I've got to have an operation. I need you to step in my place and be the associate pastor for a number of months. And I, I was so unprepared. I was so young, I thought at that point, I could get away with thinking that I knew things. But now I'm being forced publicly to have to find out if I really did. And I knew I didn't know. And I remember being in that situation and struggling. Oh man, I struggled. I struggled teaching every week. I struggled leading a a big staff, a big church. I was thrown into the situation. I struggled with it. It was painful it was embarrassing it was embarrassing how much I didn't know it was embarrassing going to the staff and every week crying at the staff meeting and going man I I can't do this and I'm letting the pastor down I'm letting the church down I'm letting the staff down and have them go we're praying for you it's going to be okay it was just you know I was embarrassed I was struggling I remember going to Horse Tooth Reservoir Fort Collins and there was a great big rock, and I laid on that rock, and I just cried out. I said, please help me. I, I am hurting bad, and I am failing, and everybody knows it. Failure that's private is one thing. Aren't you glad for God's mercy that lets most of our failures be done behind closed doors? But failure in public is another. And every thousands of people saw me struggle. And I laid on that rock and I wept, man. I still remember right now the intensity. It's one of the more beautiful places in Colorado and I could see no beauty that day. All I could see was a hard rock that represented everything that I felt in my life. And I wept. And I asked him to deliver me. And I asked him to take it away. And I said, I didn't want this and I didn't ask for this. And the only thing that I heard was the same thing. My grace is enough. You've got to get up. There was no, look at me, there was no deliverance. 
There was no, okay, I'm going to heal the pastor. There was no, okay, I'm going to raise up somebody else. It was, get up, get in your car, drive back down that hill. My grace is sufficient. Do you know, the Bible says, in our time of need, here's the one guarantee, boldly come to the throne to obtain grace. Grace is God's ability at work in you. When you're in a pit, what should you do? Go to God so that his ability can begin to work in your life. Now, some of you are like, no, 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 no. I came tonight because I wanted the formula to get out of the pit. Here's the formula. Cry out to God. He may not pick you up off of that rock. He may tear down the lies so that you can get up and walk off of that rock. He may give you grace so that you can go another day. Sometimes that's what you get. What message did you want? Now let me stop. So I, I see the turn off and the rejection already in some of you. What, what message did you want? You want the lie? Here's the lie. He's a cosmic slot machine. Write your tithe tonight and buy your way out of trouble. And you think I'm lying? That is the preached message. Give enough and God will, you you bribe him out of it. It's not true. It won't work. And it definitely won't help you. God is a deliverer and sometimes it is instantaneously, but many times it is, I will give you grace. How many of you have a difficult job? Don't raise your hand. If you work for me, do not raise your hand. Be merciful. What is your way out of the difficulty of a job? Is it, I need to win the lottery? Have you ever been in a place where God just goes, you know, for 20 years you've done it your way, now we're doing it mine. You ever been, boy, I'm just talking right now. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Problem of Pain. He wrote, he wrote many books. There are two books that have completely changed my life. One is called The Problem of Pain, and it's a very powerful book theologically looking at if God is loving, and if God is merciful, and if God is all-powerful, then why does God allow evil, suffering in the world? It's a... It's an unbelievable book. The other book that he wrote 20 years later is called A Grief Observed. A Grief Observed. He wrote A Grief Observed. He was married for three years. And in his third year of marriage, his wife died going through a terrible cancer. 20 years before that experience, he wrote The Problem of Pain theologically looking at the question of why does God allow suffering and evil in the world. After going through suffering, he wrote A Grief Observed. What's the difference between the two books? The first one was written theologically from a distance. The second one was written after having suffered. Read the books and see for yourself the difference. 
I think, I think the most important thing to me is that I, I've said this before I had children. I was an expert <laughs> on how to raise children. I remember, I, just bear with me here, standing in the supermarket, watching a woman struggle with a two or three-year-old and judging that woman going, I would never allow a child to do that to me. But I didn't have children. And then I had children. And it's like God writes down every one of those judgments <laughs> that you said and reads them back to you. <clears throat> okay, you said you would never allow a child to do this. <laughs> Where you at, big boy? I'm being beat up by this three-year-old, please. The difference between the two books would be absolutely the ability to have experienced it. One is complete judgment outside of the experience. Here's what it means to be a good parent. Have kids and then write the book. (laughs) Patty, it, it changes, yes? I mean, it just changes. Okay, pain, never experience any difficulty. Oh, you can come up with all sorts of blah, blah, bloody blah, blah. Hurt. Lose. Have somebody die. Fight a disease. Have a handicapped kid. Let people tell you that you did it because you ate the wrong food. You don't have enough faith. real easy to write it from a distance it's real easy to preach it without touching it people that speak for a living that come into a place and can say whatever they want to say and then leave without ever having to touch the humanity of it how different is that than being a pastor who has to every day live with what's said over the weekend I'm not lying. I'll be here Monday. And I'll stand back up here next weekend. So it's totally in my benefit to tell you the truth right now, isn't it? A doctor in our area named Stephen Wright is a pain management specialist. I interviewed him about pain, physical pain. Here are the three things I took away from his message. He said the words I don't know are very spiritual because when you're empty, God can finally step in. If you're in the middle of a pit and you don't know why, okay, just admit it. Quit trying to figure out all the ins and outs. Just admit it. I'm in a pit. God, help me. Come to the end of yourself. It may be the best day you've ever had. Here's what he said, be prepared to be surprised because even in the middle of difficult things, God can show up in ways you never expected. Last but not least, his words, not mine, his words, his, don't wallow in it. Attitude is a choice. We will all experience pain and suffering in this life. Do you believe that? 
Jesus said in John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble, but fear not. I've overcome the world. Woo! How you respond to your suffering will lead you to one of two paths. It's really good. How you respond to suffering, you get to choose. How you respond will lead to one of two paths, hope or hopeless. Hope or hopeless. Hope or hopeless. Romans 5, 2 through 5. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our... Together, in our... Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character... And hope does not disappoint us. One of the best messages I ever heard preached on that was Dan DeMay. But when you go through it, if you don't see any purpose to it, then there will be no hope to it. And the automatic difference of hope is hopeless. How many people in this room are, you're going to, look at me, you're going to go through it. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. No one escapes. But you will have hope or you will be hopeless. How many believers sit in this room tonight? Believers sit in this room tonight. People called people of hope without hope. You are to be people of hope. God holds everything in his hands. This is what David said. No one can snatch it from him. Nobody can snatch your life out of his hands. Nobody can take what he is doing away from you. Put yourself in his hands. Throw yourself on him. Give yourself fully to him. Embrace him. I didn't say embrace your pit. Embrace him. Now, I got something that is so off the wall. That you're going to have to decide if I'm your pastor tonight. (laughs) You're going to have to right now. You're going to have to give me the right to lead you spiritually into something. And I give you the right. I give you the right to say no. I give you the right to say no. But if you say no, you don't get the blessing. (laughs) Psalms 40.16. David said, may all who... Remember Psalms 40, verse 1 and 2. I cried out to the Lord... And he heard me. He inclined his ear to me and delivered me from the pit. A little farther down, a little further down, David then says this. All who search for you will be filled with joy and gladness. May those who love your salvation repeatedly. What's that word? The Lord is great. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with... Loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. If Jesus is your model for how to live life, look at me. Look at me, you Lutheran, you Baptist, you Pentecostal. Look at me right now. If Jesus is the model for how to live your life, not the church you were raised in, Jesus is the model for how to live your life, then the way he did it should be the way we do it. Yes or no? If Jesus cried out to God with a loud voice, 
why don't we do that for deliverance? If David said, those who love you will be filled with joy and they will shout that the Lord is great. Why do we say that is not necessary for us to do? I will tell you why. It is a cultural, complete issue that has divorced us from how God wants to deliver us. We go, deliver me the way I want to be delivered. God says, you walk in the way I tell you to walk and I'll deliver you. If God told you to shout tonight for deliverance, do you hurt bad enough to do it? Are you tired of the pit that has invaded your life and would you walk out on the rubble of the lie of the enemy? I'm going to count to three and I want you to yell, the Lord is great. One, two, three. The Lord is great! I want to do it again. One, two, three. The Lord is great! If you're like, ooh, that makes me nervous. It makes the devil nervous too. If you're like, <laughs> when I get to heaven, I can't wait for quiet corner. Oh, no, 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 no. I pray that the Lord will let me stand next to you so that I could see your expression when the multitudes of humanity through the generations shout, the Lord is great. The Lord has delivered us. Will you say to him, how could I ever have compared my present suffering in light of what you've done in my life? I bet you will. I bet your confession will be, God, it seems so significant. But it was absolutely nothing compared to what you did in my life. I would gladly do it all again to have the outcome be eternity. To have the outcome be that you saved me. To have the outcome be that you delivered me. To have the outcome be that I knew you in a way that I never knew God before. The Lord is great. He is great. When we worship, worship saying the Lord is great. Cry out tonight for your deliverance. Don't sit there mousy. So sit there tonight, dejected and ruined. You are people of hope. Step into it. Pull down the lie and step out on the rubble right now. God intends for your life to be blessed. God intends for you to win. God intends for the enemy to be hindered right now. God intends that you and everything he told you about you is true. It is yes. You are the head not the tail. You are above, not beneath. You are the front, not the rear. God's blessing is on your life. His blessing is on your life. Shout to the Lord. Shout to the Lord. Stand to our feet right now. We worship. Let that be.